Thank you for listening to the Giving Light Podcast. We are a family church and world outreach center. Our heart is to empower you to walk in true freedom and equip you to impact your world. Please visit our website at givinglight.org to learn more about us and our many resources, including original music by Brave Music, e-courses for leaders, tools for raising powerful kids, and more. If you would like to support Giving Light financially, visit our Give Online page to choose the best giving method for you. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy this message. We're going to go through a message called Love One Another today. And um, we are going to go through a lot of scripture today. Uh, I'm going to remind you again, bring your Bibles to church, because I just think it is a, an old gone by habit that I want to bring back. I know everybody's like, oh, I did not, I didn't do that. It's okay, it's okay, it's okay. No condemnation. I'm just reminding us to carry it. Actually, I was talking to my uncle last week, and it was so precious. He was just sharing to me his love for Jesus and telling me stories. And he said, what if we treated our Bibles like we treated our cell phones? What if we carried them with us everywhere? And I know your Bible can be on your phone. He said, what if we consulted our Bible every hour, every half hour, every five minutes, if you're me? What if we treated our Bibles like that? And I thought, you know, that's a really powerful thought. What if we did that? What if his word was so important to us that we couldn't go without consulting it? So just a reminder, I'm just going to keep, listen, if I'm a pastor in this house, that means I get to influence, and I'm going to influence you to be in your word, be in the Bible, it's, because I love you, because it's best for you. So, okay, we're going to le- read a lot of scripture today. No condemnation. If you did not bring your Bibles, it's going to be up there on the screen, because we're just, we're good like that. And if you're at home, you might want to grab a Bible, because we're going to be in there a lot. We're going to be in the book of John. We're going to start in John 13, if you want to prepare ahead of time. Um, I also am really focused on the word uh, right now, because for this last while, it's just been difficult for me um, to prepare messages of my own words, and I believe that God has given me words, and that he wants to partner with me as he wants to partner with you, that we each have a voice and a unique message for the world, Um, but above all, I would just rather give you his words um, as much as possible, because it is just what we need. There's a lot of voices in this world but we need his. So that's why I'm going to stick pretty closely to the scripture today. His his voice is the one that matters the most. Um, So we are going to look at the book of John today, John 13 uh, through 16, we're going to cover. Now I want to give you a little bit of context here. The book of John is unlike, oh, we're up there already. Not yet. We're not reading it yet, but thanks. Um, The book of John is, unlike the other three Gospels, it's a little bit more personal, a little more intimate into the life of Jesus. The other three say a lot of the same things. They're called the Synoptic Gospels. The book of John, um, we get a look into a little bit more of Jesus' life as a man and his his life as part of the Godhead. Um, And so in chapters 1 through 11, um, tell me if I'm making you seasick. I already notice I'm doing short paces. I'll try to stay still. Um, and then I move. Yeah. 
So chapters 1 through 11 in the book of John um, go through his ministry to the world. We see lots of miracles. We see him heal the sick and raise the dead. And um, he meets the woman at the well, and he raises Lazarus, and he heals the blind. And there's tons and tons of awesome miracles in that section of the book of John. And then from chapters 18 through 21, I believe, is where we see Jesus leading up to the cross. We see his arrest and his trial and his crucifixion and his burial and resurrection and his ascension um, in that portion of the book. But then there's this window in between there that is chapters uh, 12 through 17, where we see what we don't see in any of the other Gospels, which is this intimate look into Jesus' final conversations with the ones that he loves. And so this is right after the Last Supper happens. So there's just brief mention of the Last Supper in the book of John, but they don't go into detail like they do in the other Gospels. But we get to see the conversations that happen. between, like right after the Last Supper. Now Jesus knows that he's about to be crucified. So now if you know that they're going to be your last conversations with the people that you love, these words are going to carry weight, right? They're going to really matter. So we're going to look into uh, these chapters, these final conversations that Jesus knows he's having with the people that he loves. And so these words really matter. And I've just been pouring over these chapters, and there's so much good in there. And I tried to narrow it down to one focus this morning. Um, but I, I will say this is not a deep dive on this passage. These chapters are very rich. Um, so I encourage you to read them on your own. Um, but we are going to go through a little bit of them today. Okay, so Jesus had just eaten the Passover meal. It's the Last Supper. He's telling his friends. um, He's he's leading up in these final conversations that he's going to have with them. He wants to comfort them. Um, Now, Jesus, remember, Jesus is 100% man and 100% God. So he has every emotion, every feeling, every weight of a human being. He carries that. And he is also God. He knows what is coming. He knows that beyond the crucifixion, beyond the pain, beyond the suffering, that there is glory and that it is going to be better for us. He knows all of this. And so we kind of can see the, the brevity of both Jesus as man and as God in these passages. So he loves these people. He knows that they are man, that they are carrying the weight of being human beings in a fallen world. So he loves them. He wants to prepare them for what's to come, and he wants to tell them the things that matter most. So in John 13, now we're going to start up there. John 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And I love this because it just shows, again, his heart for these people. Yes, he knew the end of the story, but he also was carrying the weight of being a man, loving his friends, his followers that have been so close to him for the last three years in his ministry. So he loves them, and it says he loves them to the end. So that just kind of sets the stage for Jesus and his friendship. If you can imagine a person that's close to you, this was a person that was close to them. And so um, it goes on in verses 3 through 5 to say, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments. He took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. Now, if you're a feet person, like you don't like feet, you're not going to like this story. 
But this was Jesus, again, it, it's just saying Jesus knows what is about to, ha- to happen. He knows what he's about to go through. He knows what the disciples are about to go through. And this is what he does. And so again, this is a window into scriptures. It's a window into Jesus that we don't get throughout the other gospels. And I just think that's so powerful. And there's so much to be said that this is what Jesus wanted to be known to his disciples. So what does he do? They just had the Last Supper and he lays a his outward garments and he wraps himself in a towel. So now this was the job of a servant to wash their feet. This wasn't completely unfamiliar to them. Um, Foot washing was a common practice because guess what? They didn't have running water and they didn't have Nike and they didn't have socks. They had animals and dirt and nature, right? So their feet often just naturally got dirty. And so it was not uncommon for them to have their feet washed. So when you would go into someone's home, now some of, some of us here in America, we take our shoes off when we go into somebody's house, right, to keep the floors clean. It's a similar practice. They are washing their feet to keep the house clean. But it was typically a job of a servant or a child to come and wash their feet. So now Jesus had just, they just had the Last Supper, and Jesus takes this posture. He lays aside his outer garments, which is saying that any symbol or status that he had, any reputation that he held, um, rightfully so, he set them aside, and he wrapped himself in a towel, and he began to wash their feet. So Jesus is lowering himself to the, the position of a servant. And Jesus begins to talk about what is to come. And he says in verse 6 and 8, then Jesus came to Simon Peter. So he's slowly going around the room and he's washing their feet. Then he comes to Simon Peter and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? He says, you shall never wash my feet. Now, Peter, we know Peter's a passionate guy, but Peter loves Jesus. And he doesn't like that Jesus is lowering himself to the position of a servant to wash his feet. He doesn't like that. I probably wouldn't like that. If the Queen of England came in and washed my feet, I would probably be like, what is happening? I don't, this is not okay, right? And this is Jesus. So Peter's saying this out, out of a sign of respect for Jesus. He loves Jesus. He doesn't want it to see him brought low and doing such a, um, a minuscule task. So now we also know that throughout the Gospels that the disciples really liked rank and status and position. You can actually see through the other Gospels, right at the Last Supper, the disciples are arguing about who's going to be the greatest. So there, this is like a constant, like Jesus is like, guys, this doesn't matter. You're not, you know, you're focused on this. It's not important. But here we see, again, you know, the disciples, this is something that they're passionate about. Who's going to be the greatest? Like a bunch of teenage boys, right? Um, So here, Peter is not liking this because it's something that they think about. And so in verse, in the rest of verse 8, Jesus answered him and says, If I do not wash your feet, speaking to Peter, you have no part with me. So Peter, again, he's a passionate guy. And he takes those words to heart. And he says, if this is, oh, this is my paraphrase. Um, No, in verse 9. Peter says, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. So what Peter is saying 
is, okay, if this is what it takes for me to be near you, because Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. So Peter says, okay, if that's the case, then wash my hands, wash my head, wash every part of me. Peter was saying, it doesn't make sense to me, but if that's what you say, far be it from my lack of understanding, you can have every part of me. So I love Peter's zealous love for Jesus. And he goes on in verses 12 through 15. So when he, Jesus, had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. So this is a weighty moment. The disciples are not quite sure what's going on. And now Jesus says, okay, I did this because I want you to do the same. And so what did Jesus do? He put aside his reputation, his and he says, he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and so you say, well, for so I am. So Jesus is saying, I am Lord, and I am teacher. But he said, as that, I lower myself and I serve, and that's what I want you to do. So in one of Jesus' final conversations with his disciples, he tells them that even if they rightfully hold titles or positions or power, which remember is something that they care about, he laid that aside and he took on the attitude of a servant. So servant leadership was one of these final lessons that Jesus is teaching them. And Jesus is again reminding them that, the, that his kingdom is not like the kingdom of this world. And I think it is very important for us as believers that we are not looking to the world to inform our lives. What Jesus tells us to do does not make sense to this world. This did not make sense to the disciples. So if we are looking to the world for how to conduct our lives, we're just going with the flow of the world. But Jesus is saying, no, I want you to be so engrafted into me that you do things my way, that you do things the way of the kingdom because it's the better way for you. The ways of heaven are love. So we're going on same passage, for, uh, John 13, verses 33 through 35. It says, Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where am I going? Where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, okay, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Say love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. Say love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have Love for one another. Say, love one another. Okay, this is three verses of the Bible. He says it three times. If you're a parent, you know something about repeating yourself, right? You have to say the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. So Jesus is talking, and I love how he says, he calls them little children, which was not a derogatory thing. He was speaking to them as a, um, as a, a leader, but he says three times in that passage, he says, love one another. It's very important that you love one another. You love one another, love one another, love one another. Three times. So we know that that's important to him. If he's repeating himself three times. Listen, anytime Jesus says one word, it's important. 
But he just repeated himself three times right in a row. So we know this is important to him. So now this is an important conversation for Jesus to have with these people because, especially because, these are not just people who are going to leave this room and go on with their lives. Jesus is speaking with his disciples, right? So these aren't just random people that are just going to go on. These are the people that are going to found the future church. These are the ones that are going to spread the message of Jesus in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus is saying, I need you to get this because this isn't just for your benefit. You are going to be the ones that begin my movement into the world. So he's saying, I need you to understand that what I want you to do is to love one another, love one another, love one another. It's a very simple message. Love one another. All right. So Jesus is talking to the future church. Now notice that there, he didn't give any qualifiers. He said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. As I've loved you, love one another. This is how the world will know you're my disciples, if you love one another. It's pretty cut and dry. There's not qualifiers. He doesn't say, love those you agree with, love those who give back to you, love those who are the same as you, love those who love me. He just says, love one another. So it's one of the greatest invitations of our faith to pursue the person of love and to become so transformed by him that we become the enactment of it. We get to actually have a relationship with the person of love himself, which then means you're going to become like him. You're going to become the presence of love in this world, which is pretty, a pretty awesome invitation that we get to be the presence of love in this world. We get to invite the world into his love. Now, the whole gospel message is a radical mission of love. See if you can follow this. He first loved us, so we get to love him back. When we love him, we obey his commands. That's what he says. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. What are his commands? That we love one another. And when we love one another, we invite the world to know his love. It's a big circle. It starts with love. It ends with love. All right. You ready for chapter 14? John chapter 14. Okay, in verses 1 through 4, he says, let, your, not your, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would, not have told, or I, I would have told you. He's telling them the truth. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am... There may you also be, and where I go, you know, and you know the way. Okay, that was hard for me to even say. And the disciples are not at a place where they're fully comprehending this. The Bible says Jesus is still speaking in mysteries, so they're still not quite understanding it. And so Thomas, in verse 5, he says, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How are we supposed to know the way? Which I like that Thomas is like... Jesus, I'm trying. I'm trying to follow you. But we actually don't know where you're going. How are we supposed to know the way? So Jesus is kind. And in verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Okay, so this is a more popular verse that we know. And the reason that I threw this in here was that it is important for us to know that there 
is no other good deed. There is no other moral or ethical code. There is no other way, truth, or life. There is no other gospel to the Father except for Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. So any gospel that replaces Jesus with good works is a false gospel. And now I'm telling you this because we're talking about loving one another. And so a lot of times the world will preach that gospel, small g gospel, that we should do good for one another. We should care for one another. We should be kind and um, serve one another. The world actually knows that. But there's only one way to the Father. So as good as it might sound in the world's words, it's a false gospel if Jesus isn't the way, the truth, and the life. He has to be the central focus of of everything that we do. And so even in good works, it must be Jesus. Otherwise, it's a false gospel. They're not going to get to where the Father, or to where Jesus is going. They're not going to get to the Father. So in everything, we just have to know that it is not just about doing good. It's about Jesus. Because good works and love are not necessarily synonymous. In 1 Corinthians 13, 3, it's the only scripture I'm using outside of John today. It says, if I gave everything I have to the poor, sounds noble, right? And even sacrificed my body. I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. The gospel of Jesus is far beyond good works. It has to carry his heart. He himself is love. So without him, it's empty. It means nothing. That passage goes on and it says, it's, it's nothing but a clanging gong or a crashing cymbal. It's just noise. The world makes a lot of noise. And guess what? I want the world to do good for others. I think that when we do that, it's an invitation for Jesus to show them real love. We want that. I'm not saying that's a bad or wrong thing. I'm saying we can't get it twisted in thinking that just good works is enough. It has to go back to Jesus because we could do all the good sounding things. But if we don't have his love, it's nothing. So the love of God is not just good works. It's the heart of God revealed. So you can only know the heart of God by being connected to him himself, love himself. And his love doesn't make sense outside of him. Remember the, God, the disciples are like trying to keep up and they're just like, this does not make sense. He's washing our feet. He's doing the job of a child, of a servant. It doesn't make sense. It's not going to make sense to us outside of him. So, let me give you an example of that. At times, Jesus' love was public, and his love was, at times, his love was private. Now, it was love for Jesus to cast out the money changers. It was love for him to eat at Zacchaeus' house. Zacchaeus was not a well, he was not a well-liked man. He was a thief, and Jesus ate at his house. That was love. It was love for Jesus to welcome the little children. It was love for him to cleanse the leper. It was love for him to dignify the woman. It was love for Jesus to rebuke the Pharisees. None of those things look alike. And if me, if I saw all those things, I wouldn't have done them the same way. Like, would I have called the thief out of the tree and said, I need to eat at your house? 
Probably not, because guess what? I'm still working on all of this. And casting out the money changers. You think, you know, that's a fit of rage. If I just saw that, I might think, well, he's having a fit of rage. He needs to get his stuff together. But that was actually love. So the, the love of Jesus actually doesn't make sense outside of relationship with him. None of it's going to make sense. We won't know how to do it unless we are connected with him. So as much as you might want and I might want this message to be a list of me telling you how to love one another, I can't actually do that because you have to do it in connection with Jesus. Because if I just told you a list of things to do, it would turn into religion. It would be rules and it would be just like the world because it would be outside of connection with Jesus himself. So I can't, I'm sorry, I can't actually give you a to-do list or a how-to guideline on how to do this because Jesus' love looked a lot of different ways. And so in order for us to do what he commanded us to do, to love one another, we have to be in fellowship with him. We have to hear his voice and we have to obey it. And that's going to look different for each one of us. Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. So he was, Jesus was in connection with the Father. So if we're supposed to do like he did, we have to stay in connection with the Father. We have to stay in connection with Jesus, the Holy Spirit. All right. So John 14, 15. We're back in John. It says, if you love me, obey my commandments. Okay, verse 21. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. Again, he's repeating himself. If we love him, we'll obey his commandments. What was his commandment? Oh, you're getting it. To love one another. Right. Okay, how do we do that? How do we love one another? How do we, how do, we do all of this? Well, let's go to John chapter 15. We're still tracing this same passage, these same conversations Jesus is having, having with the disciples before he knows he's going to the cross. So John 15, verses 1 and 4, he says, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot produce fruit unless you remain in me. Verses 9 and 10. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Hear how many times he says love. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. What does it say next? Remain in my love. The only way we can love one another is if we remain in the person of love himself. We can't do it outside of him. Then it goes on, it says, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey the Father's commandments and remain in his love. This whole thing is based on a relationship of love. So, Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. Jesus telling us to do as he does. And he's saying, this is how you remain in my love, that you love one another. They're like, they're so connected. We love him, but we love him by loving one another. We can't love others if we don't love him. It's all a relationship of love. Are you following me? All right. Pastor Joel is following me. Okay. All right. Okay. 
Okay, we're going to keep going. Uh, we're in chapter 15, John 15, verses 11 and 12. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Say, thank you, Jesus. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is a joy-filled thing Jesus is telling us to do. He says, this is my commandment. What is it? Love each other. Love one another in the way that I have loved you. Verse 13, there is no greater love than you lay down one's life for one's friends. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. Verse 17, this is my command, that you love one another. He just says it over and over and over. We're in the same, we're just going down the same passage. How many times has he said love one another? These are his final conversations with his disciples. These words matter to him. And if they mattered to him, they should matter to us. So he just keeps saying, love one another, love one another, love one another. Remain in my love and love one another. So the, the theme that I was getting through this, and like I said, study these passages out for yourself. John 12 through 17. Um, he, I'm not going through it today, but then he goes on. After he is with his disciples, he goes and he prays to the Father. It's the, the instance of the longest prayer we see from Jesus. He prays to the Father, and it also is all about love. So these are very special, very loaded, very rich moments that we get to see into Jesus' life. But the theme that I was seeing through this passage is don't forget your source and don't forget your assignment. Remain in me so that you can love one another. That's our source. We remain in love himself. And our assignment is that we love one another. Now, doesn't that sound a little bit like the greatest commandment? The greatest commandments... They ask him, the people ask him, they go, God, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Because we know they're very into rules, which is why I can't give you a list, because that will lead to religion. So the Pharisees ask Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? They're trying to trap him. And he says, the greatest commandment of all is, it's not up there, but it is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. These conversations that Jesus is having with the disciples are his greatest commandment. Love God, love one another. It's the, maybe this is too bold the thing to say, but it's the most important thing that he said to us. He said it's the greatest commandment. This is final conversations with Jesus. He says, you have to know this. Love me, love people. It's the most complicated, simple thing ever. So it's becoming my life's mission slowly to study the love of God. You may have heard me mention 1 Corinthians 13 over the last couple of months because I've just been letting it ring in my ears and in my heart. Because if I study the love of God, that I'm obeying his commands, that I'm loving him back, and that's all I want. He's given us everything, and he just asks us to love one another. So if that's what he's asking of me, if that's what he's asking of us, that's what my life has to be about. It has to be about loving one another because it matters to him. So again, I can't give you a list, 
But I will say, if you go to the Bible, you'll find some of the ways we can love one another. There's, there's some good stuff in there. He teaches us how to love. Some of the things that he did in the gospel um, that were acts of love, love looks like washing feet and service. Again, if you don't like feet, I'm sorry. Jesus did it. Find another way to serve. It's, it looks like welcoming the foreigner. It looks like speaking the truth in love. It looks like standing against injustice. It looks like healing the sick and casting out demons. It looks like feeding the hungry. It looks like giving orphans a family. And it is incredibly patient and gentle and consistently kind to all. And it does not brag or envy. It refuses to be jealous and chooses to celebrate one another. Every time I read this, I cry. Love is incredibly patient. It is gentle. It is consistently kind to all. It does not brag or envy. It refuses to be jealous and chooses to celebrate one another. It does not keep records of wrong. It, rejo- it does not rejoice in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It is safe. It is full of hope. It is enduring. It never gives up. I think I cry every time. Like, Seriously, <laughs> every time I've, I've gone through these notes a thousand times, and every time I hit that passage, I cry. And I think it's because that's what he wants from us. He wants us to love one another, and he's telling us how through his words. So I can't give you specifics, but if we can try to model after these things. So I just remind myself, love is consistently kind to all, even the ones I don't want to love. So my encouragement, exhortation to you today is to read your Bible and to look for love in it and to ask the Holy Spirit to show you what love looks like. Because I guarantee you, if it's revealed to you, if you know what the love of God looks like for yourself, if you can receive it for yourself, it will begin to bubble out of you. You'll become love itself and then you'll become the presence of love in the world. So I just encourage you, just chase after love. And it does not look like the love of the world. You must, you will only get it through him. He is the source. We must remain in his love. It's the only way we'll know how to love one another is if we know his love and we stay connected with him. And yeah, I mean, if, if, if nothing else, it matters to him that we love one another. I just proved it to you in 17 times where 17 times where, inside joke, where he just spells out over and over and over again, love one another. So if nothing else, if it matters to him, it should matter to us, right? So that's what I'm going to leave you with. Love one another. If you can just remember that. And again, this is going to require work on your part because you're going to have to pursue this for yourself. I can't give you the list. I can't tell you specifically how to do this. You just have to go to love himself and let him show you what this looks like in the world. And that's how we're going to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's how we're going to see love manifest itself in this world. We're going to get to lead people. He says, you'll know, they'll know, the world will know that you're mine because of your love. So we have that responsibility to be a witness of love in this world, to lead people to Jesus. This is not a selfish gospel. Yes, God loved me. I don't get to stop there. I now have to go and be that presence of love in the world to lead other people to the love that I know in Jesus. So this is not a selfish gospel. We must live the presence of love. So Jesus, God, I thank you that you loved us so much. You loved the whole world, that you gave your only son, Jesus, you gave your life 
that none should perish. None, none, no one. It is your heart that no one should perish. God, but your heart for us is to have everlasting life with you in your kingdom. So God, I thank you, Father, for the grace to walk that out. I thank you that your mercies are new every morning. I thank that that your love is present in us, in the Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you for your word that leads us to your heart. I thank you for Jesus that was that physical manifestation of a gift of love for us. God, and I thank you for the Father who is love himself. You are love himself. So God, we stay connected with you. We choose to remain in your love. God, and we choose to take on your your commandment to love one another in Jesus name. Amen. Amen.